Welcome to the Big Box PC Game Collectors Podcast. This episode was originally recorded in July of 2015. On our vidcast, we discussed modern game preservation. During the conversation, the topic of massively multiplayer online RPGs came up. Specifically, private servers and the role that they play in game preservation and how different companies deal with these servers. With Blizzard specifically, we wondered, since none of us were particularly familiar with the private server situation for World of Warcraft. Since this was recorded, the Nostalrius private server became popular, as well as a couple of others, and we learned how Blizzard is dealing with these private servers, and the answer is by sending lawyers to shut them down. We did do an examination of this around the time it was happening on our vidcast, which you can find on our YouTube channel. And so without further ado, here's our episode on modern game preservation. like there's there's three major components to um, saving these games there's the component that we're all really good at which is the physical product which is kind of where our group uh, focuses our attention pretty much uh, feelies manuals physical media boxes things of that nature and we're kind of doing the grunt work trading manuals around completing boxes you know informing people what needs to be where and all that kind of stuff then there's the game itself, which is the second um, portion, and being able to actually play the game, which is uh, even getting difficult for things that are on like five and a quarter inch discs. I mean, any of this old media, but with games like uh, Sim City that came out from Electronic Arts, um, whenever they shut down those multi multi uh, multiplayer servers, I don't believe unless they patch it, which they probably won't, you'll be able to play that game ever again. The third kind of aspect of this is, is future research for people who may be studying the history of the hobby and want to go back and research these things for uh, whatever, if maybe they're game developers and they want to learn about the past or, or whatever. How in the heck do you take care of a situation like SimCity? I mean, no one may want to save that game, I don't know, and I don't think remember it being a very particularly good game, I haven't played it. but. Um, still, it is relevant to our hobby without, like, someone hacking that game to run without the servers. I'm not sure how for posterity it's going to exist. I think in terms of the um, egre- uh, some of the more egregious um, uh, sort of authentication-style DRM, uh, I don't know what happened with Spore, but I remember, um, I mean, I was... Um, our publication was in, was part of a sort of mass press protest against uh, against Spore's ludicrous DRMing um, and online authentication. Spore had uh, Spore was the one that had a limited number of installs. It you can only install had, it, it like a limited number of times, and then that was it. Like, and people freaked out about that. And at time of release, it required a persistent connection. There was a really huge outcry. I mean, the the limited to three, I think, accounts was. Pretty poor for a family, for a fam- uh, or was it limited to one? Anyway, the limited accounts were very poor for a family-friendly game, but the persistent, de- but the persistent online checking, which has since become a feature in many, many games, um, I think they rolled back on that. And I suppose that's one example where um, community, where sort of if you've got a com- combination of community and uh, media pressure, 
a company with a riotously unfair, unfair insistence that a game will only work if it check if it can authenticate itself against the main server could, it could potentially roll back on that. Um, I mean, you'd kind of hope that when it, that if a game server was taken down, uh, it would uh, also be a patch would be released to remove the necessity for authentication. I can't think of any instances where that where that hasn't happened. Um, I'm sure they'd have been fairly notorious, or alternatively, no one would have cared about the games in question. But there is, you know, an option for games that are going past their past their profitability. You know, when they're going end of life in terms of profitability, of actually liaising with the publish with the publishers and the people running the servers. Again, that applies to only applies to DRM rather than games where the entire game actually lives on a server and you and you just have a client. Yeah, so distinguishing between DRM and, and online. DRM, I don't like either, but you can always crack DRM. Um, and it, usually it's been cracked like, before the game is released. <laughs> um, in terms of the online stuff, though, I generally don't play online games, and this is one of the two, one of the two reasons why I don't. I mean, there's three reasons. But one of the two and a half reasons why I don't is just because I, I'm not like such a, I guess, a cutting-edge guy that I play the game always the second that it's released. I like to you know, take my time, and the publishers just don't care about preserving these, these online games, in my opinion, in general. And I know that's a blanket statement, and there's probably some publisher that does care, but as a general rule, they just don't care. I mean, they, they care about making their money right now in the short term. Once their window of opportunity is closed, on, on to the next thing, they've already started. The heck with this one, it's done. If they can squeeze a little more money out of it, fine, but certainly not going to spend any money to try to keep it up and running if they don't need to. So given that that's the attitude, I, I don't want to waste my time on, on some of these things, to be honest. I'd rather spend my time on a single-player experience that is a good experience and which doesn't uh, rely on sort of the goodwill of the, of the, the publisher once the game's already been released. Uh, like, the, like, the online, uh, like the Ultimate Online Shards. I mean, essentially, they... Broadly speaking, seem to have uh, seem the people who run shards. Broadly speaking, seem to have the um, have the blessing of uh, um, EO, B uh, EA because you have got a lot of free, a lot of free shards, and I think that's kind of uh, uh, the uh, almost the opt the optimal solution. Although it, given how long free shards have been going on, it's been on feet of the to the tolerance EA showed towards them is frankly almost unfeasible in terms of. Uh, potential profit-cutting they might have otherwise seen. Well, if the games are architected in such a way that there could be, you know, individual servers, like, you know, it's matching up people as opposed to being a centralized thing, then that's one thing as opposed to it really relies on the goodwill of the publishers to keep them running. Um, I mean, I have played some online games. I was mentioning Majestic before, before we started. as something which, it sounded really cool. I knew it was going to go down. But I wanted to try it before it went down, so I figured I would I would do that quickly. And there's been a couple other things like that that I really wanted to do, so I did. But like uh, URU is another example of that, where I think maybe they do something still running, um, the missed game. But you know, I didn't I didn't expect anything of it. it. Just that's sort of the way it is, unfortunately. Now the irony to the whole thing is that uh, everybody probably realizes that. Online games have two components, a client and a server component. On the client, there used to be all of the assets, 100% of the assets, in order to limit the amount of data transfer between the server and the client. 
Well, as a result, this is why there are free shards of Ultima Online, because someone sat down and figured out what data was traveling, and they already had all the assets on the CD, basically 100% of the game. So all they did was build servers and figure out what the calls were, and they could build their own private Ultima Online server, and that's why we have free shards everywhere. What is ironic is that Ultima Online at first got very upset at this and was trying to get them shut down and saying, you know, you're not allowed to do this. You're stealing the game stuff. I'm sure there was a lot of legal ramifications, and they finally went, you know what? It's bringing enthusiasm to the game. Let's just leave them alone. Every other online game that I know of, and somebody correct me if I'm wrong, continues this tradition of trying their best to not let the fans get a copy of the server so that they can't make their own personal shards and do the free version. As far as I know, there are no free shard versions of World of Warcraft. Is that correct? I don't think so. They're holding on to that data as tightly as they possibly can, which could, ironically, maybe kill the goose that laid the golden egg. Now, hey, I just in, found open, wow, private servers. There are private servers in the Say again? This is apparently totally a thing. There's this listing called OpenWow. That's amazing. And what makes this really great in regard to our conversation is that people are preserving the ones that they are able to preserve. They're doing it for fun, but they're doing it. I would say that Blizzard, I doubt that Blizzard is okay with that, though. <laughs> I'm sure that they are like, barely trying to get those folks shut down, um, which is opposed to what Joe is saying about Origin essentially being kind of okay with the free shards at this point. They were never okay with it, but they did eventually just give up. And some say that it was the free shards that was the death knell of the game because anybody could do anything they wanted anymore, and therefore there was no appeal to paying them 10 to 12 to $15 a month to play the game anymore. Um, I think something I noticed with the free shards is that, uh, for example, the one, uh, the one I was on, the name of which I temporarily forget, um, this was still during early Second Age. Um, and um, what, we, what we had was a more role-playing intensive, intensive sh uh, shard, um, you know, without the, without the sort of um, ridiculous underpants glass sword dudes. Well, without so much the ridiculous underpants glass sword dudes. Um, I think another good example of um, um, online experiences being preserved is uh, the Supreme Commander community. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Supreme Commander. You absolutely should be if you're not. Um, it is a RTS with giant robots, and you can generate units, and you can, and it's got great land uh, land play. It, it, it's it's one of my favourite RT, um, RTSs, but. Long even after THQ, uh, THQ uh, got shut uh, got shut down, its assets sold. But even before that, Supreme Command Commander's uh, sort of ser servers and so on got shut down. For with FA Forever, Forge Alliance Forever, Forge Alliance was um, an add-on for the, for the uh, first Supreme Commander game, which incidentally is far better than Supreme Commander Two. Um, you've still got people running servers, but also building new maps. Building, you've got you've got. Um, the, uh, my Supreme Commander group downloaded an entire additional player community created a created race with unique units and graphics. 
that's how committed that community that community is, and they're still playing. Okay, so like World of Warcraft and Ultima Online were popular enough that there's a community out there that still wants to perpetuate those games, right? But there's also a litany of, of MMOs that no one gave a crap about that are like gone, and <laughs> they still don't give a crap about them, so no one... Like that Horizons game that uh, me and Heather played it for like a week, I think. It's just gone. Having missed Tabula Rasa. Yeah, Tabula Rasa just gone, and I don't know that there's is there free shards for that game anywhere. I love that game. No, I don't believe there are. That's a shame. I mean, it's just it's toast, you know. Um, Ironically, the um, the only thing that's really keeping those games alive are like old YouTube videos that you can watch people playing them. But there just wasn't enough interest in the games to perpetuate them. Oh, Infinite Rasa. That sounds like a challenge to me. I probably have connections with some of the people that could basically, I could appease and basically say, hey, we still need to hold on to the source for that information. Would you happen to have it? And I got there a feeling was previously that, a private server called Infinite Rasa, but they got shut down. Presume, was Tabula Rasa put out through NCSoft, if I recall correctly? Yeah, NCSoft, they're like, the, they're like the bullies of the MMO space, man. Those I folks. assumed Infinite Rasa might have got might have got trumped, but people do keep poking it and seeing if it can come to life. Well, what would be the point, even if they did bring it back? I mean, like, it would just be abandoned with, like, you'd be the only guy running around in there. Would you want to play that game? Never underestimate the power of nostalgia, Stuart. And more importantly, the power of people like me who have a sneaking suspicion that they missed out on something really cool. No, but uh, my, that, that's your potential market there. My point is you go in and you, you're, you're nostalgic and you missed something cool, which you, maybe you did. But, like, Joel's not there anymore. Nobody's there. It's, it's like that game pissed. Uh, the people trash the island and there's, like, the soda cans behind. Like, you can't have the same experience even if the shard is still up and running. That's my point. Uh, there was this game called Asheron's Call 2, which you guys have probably heard of Asheron's Call. It's not like a it's not like an underground game or anything. Asheron's Call 1 is still going. Asheron's Call 2 came out. Me and Heather actually loved that game. Played the heck out of it. It was not popular, and it got shut down. Now, uh, I don't know how many years later, because I don't remember when the game came out. They actually re-released Asheron's Call 2, and uh, subscribers to Asheron's Call 1 can play Asheron's Call 2. So it's like a guess game. It's like a zombie game. It kind of came back to life. What torques me off about that, though, is that me and Heather bought the game, and we cannot play it. <laughs> so this MMO now exists again. Uh, the same thing happened with that uh, that missed uh, MMO. You remember that thing, Uru, that came out? Yeah, it kind of died this like horrible death because uh, that one had this weird like development hell situation going on. I don't think they ever actually finished the game. But we bought that as well, and it then it ended up coming back, and we couldn't play that either using the copies that we bought. Oh my God! It's all your fault. You're a curse. What are these it's weird, a wonder like, part of Warcraft still running? <laughs> Not for uh, long. Yeah, World of Warcraft sliding like a sled on an icy hill, man. It lost like three million subscribers in one month. Those folks, they're gonna have to change their business model, or else they're again. in big trouble. They're gonna have to change their business model again. Well, sometimes it's I, I get the feeling that sometimes it's just like life. Sometimes these games just die, not because of any particular reason, but specifically because they get old, they get a little broken down, they, they don't listen. I mean, just like we all do when we get older. 
but I totally agree, Joe. But I think we have different points or topics here. I mean, games that we play now online, they they get the age some some better, some worse. And for example, I I like to play Counter Strike online. I play Counter Strike 1.6, the original one, a lot. I switched my internet provider. Um, he has a new technology, and he's only he's 100% on IPv6. So Counter Strike, the internet protocol of Counter Strike, is not able to um, to be played with this new uh, internet protocol. So you have to be you have to have a provider who offers you IPv4 um, still to play that game online. I learned that after my internet provider. Thanks for that. So I'm playing still Counter Strike. I'm playing ZGO Counter Strike. But only due to the reason that I'm not able to play the old one any longer. So I have a two-year contract. I, I could go now and look into um, VPN network or something like that to get access to to the to the old internet protocol to play that game. But things happen. This is technical advantage, which somehow is a disadvantage on the other end of the story. No? So so this happened. But I'm looking on the topic we're discussing today more on the point like. Um, what do we do, or what is doing someone to preserve these games at all? Not only because games we like to play online, but all the big box games I have in my shelf from Sierra. I guess only half of them are still working. The discs are all not functioning anymore. So, what happens to those? Now, how do I? I'm able to. Am I able to download images for the disc? I'm able to download the games somewhere on the internet, but that is a, a complete game in in one folder. But if I want to like to have the, the the original disc images, where can I go to? There's no place. There's no no organization. And maybe there's some some local thing going on. Maybe there's someone doing it for a specific view on the hundreds of millions of games. But there's no thing that pre preserves all of the games that were ever created on discs, on CDs, on on whatever medium, you know, online games. What is when? If a company tomorrow buys Steam because Steam is one of the things to go to, and another company comes, like a company who bought Sierra back then and has no idea about games at all, and crushed the whole thing, and Steam is gone in five years, what happens to all the games that someone purchased? Are they still accessible somehow? I don't know. That is, uh, but I agree to your point. That's life. I mean, I watched movies um, I don't have access to any longer in that quality I watched them back then because the tapes and stuff the same thing happened to them they get old some get damaged some get lost and you don't have have all that stuff available any longer that's that's bad but there are little organizations like the software preservation society that is trying they're just a, a small personal group that is trying and they've preserved 3,400 8-bit games and over 100 Atari ST games and slowly but surely they are preserving these and they're preserving them in their actual disk image format which is really nice but there are other organizations it almost seems like it's starting to come out of the private sector and into the public sector again. There is an organization sponsored by the Library of Congress called the Digital Preservation Outreach and Education Program. Uh, they are focusing on digital preservation of all types, but games are included in that, and they're actually putting out uh, seminars for Train the Trainer to actually allow people, to teach people 
the best preservation techniques that they have come across, and being the Library of Congress, they do all the research paid for by the United States federal government and other countries to basically cover as much as possible and find out the latest techniques and the latest uh, advantages of preserving all this online information. I think that's um, really important, but uh, and quite possibly, you know, if if we sort of uh, do a bit, uh, all do a bit more research, something we should probably delve into more deep, uh, more deeply, you know, ourselves both here and potentially as a group elsewhere. Going off on a on a tangent because uh, I, I don't think I can top the Library of Congre Congress having a having a uh, digital preservation project. Um, um, I'd like to note that it's quite interesting which games have. Uh, Still have their PAP servers still up. Um, Simon and Schuster again, who turned who turning out to be a surprisingly sort of important player in this in, in this week's narrative. Um, they published uh, Starship Titanic, if I recall correctly. I'm fairly certain it was them. I'm doing this off the top of my head. And they've still got the PAP servers up, complete with all the patches. I, I mean, I have Starship Titanic running on Windows 8.1. Um, it took a little bit of fiddling, but the instructions were, ava were available, and the patches were, were still up to download. Uh, there is still even an official site. And um, given how little it does cost to, um, uh, to keep a sort of fairly static page on online, I think um, it, it's uh, sad that so many companies do take down the game support pages. I've also, just been reminded of a uh, very particularly odd artistic text and graphics game that took place online. Which, if someone would like to vamp frantically, I will look up um, very quickly. Well, there's there's a lot of problems with pres preserving in general. So, like the things that Pascal mentioned and things you guys are talking about. But why make it more difficult? That's my problem. So, Counter Strike. Pretty much is an online game. The whole point of the game is to shoot other people online. I mean, that's that's what it is. But World of Warcraft, I mean, there's an online component to it. And Joel, you can correct me if I'm wrong because you've played this much more than I have, which is zero. But there's an online component, and you're part of it is like grouping and being in a guild and playing with other people. But part of it is the story and the fantasy and the, the, you know, the characters and everything else. So why not have it sort of built from the ground up as both experiences, where you can you can have a single player experience, go to do the quests on your own, you know, meet meet the NPCs, whatever, and then if you want to have the grouping and everything else, then then do that. I mean, maybe you'll be able to fight the boss that requires fifty people to fight him together, or maybe you could with like some you know NPCs or something. But even if you can't, let's say you lose some of it, but you still have some of the experience. But I, I get the feeling that they don't do that. I'm not sure if it's because they're lazy or because they, they purposely don't want to do that. They want it to be multiplayer completely solely because some some marketing reason and advertising reason. I'm not sure what, but I don't know why they have to make it so difficult. Why can't it be an experience that everybody can enjoy? The kind of unique thing about WoW and maybe EverQuest and all the other games that, you know, World Warcraft's ripping off, um, it was like... By itself, as a single-player game, it would not be a very compelling experience. Um, and I say that because um, the quest structure, everything's built from the ground up to be as easily acceptable for multiple people as possible. So when you talk about the story, it's pretty loose. Um, the quests are very kind of, they're all like kill ten rats or, you know, follow this guy over here and talk to this person and it's all built 
and it sounds shallow, but it, the reason it's that way is because it's designed to be as easily, because, you know, the, the game I showed earlier, Star Wars The Old Republic, was the opposite of that, and that's why, as an MMO, it sucked so bad, because, you know, what you ended up with was me and Heather uh, talking to the same guy, and we're sitting watching this dude drone on about boring shit for, like, 30 minutes, you know, which doesn't lend itself to a multiplayer kind of uh, thing. World of Warcraft doesn't have any of that. It's just you click the dude, it brings the thing up, it says you want to kill ten rats, you click yes, and you just go. And um, by yourself, I don't think it would be that good of an experience, really. I played one MMO like in the last ten years. <laughs> that was DC Universe Online. I figured, like, okay, what the heck, I'll try it. And I paid like extra money even to be a Green Lantern, like five bucks extra or something, like microtransactions. And I and it was it was that was it was very similar in terms of what you were saying. It was just like go help you know the garage gorillas are are fighting somebody. Go help them out. And you go to some places like gorillas like just spawning, 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 spawning. DCU spawning. online was terribly action oriented, even by the standard of other MMOs I found. Oh, maybe maybe yeah, it's, it's a one off. But yeah, it was just like fight, 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 fight. They're just spawning infinitely, and then you go to like the Justice League satellite or something or Watchtower. And there's like just guys running past you like the speed of light. Like there's like I don't know 500 other players there. that is all like zoomed by, like no interaction with anybody at all. Anyway, I was like, what the heck is the point of this? And and then I and then I got killed too. So I was like, forget it. <laughs> got to disagree with you on that, Joel. I believe that the storyline definitely does have a place in the single player game. Outside of that, I mean, as we all know. We've all experienced online worlds and had that same feeling that Stuart has. A lot of us live and die by the storyline and want to learn about the world that we're in and get all the mythos and get all the culture and put all of it together. And that adds to it a whole lot. I love the idea where you are in a multiplayer environment and then can instantly, if you want, go on a single-player tangent or a small group. You get two or three people together, and you go into a dungeon, and you fight the lich, and you get the prize. Then you come out, and then in the multiplayer environment again, you can go have a beer and talk about that and say, I found this great little dungeon over in Sector 7G, and somebody says, oh, that's really cool. Let's go Let's. I want to go do that, or I did that too. Did you find the secret room in there? And it's a place where people can get together and talk about their single-player experiences in a multiplayer environment. It's like an amusement park, where when you're just walking around the park and buying cotton candy, you're in a whole group of people. But when you go on a ride, it's more of a single-player experience, where it's just you enjoying that ride. You forget that there are 200 people around you all on that roller coaster. It's an experience just for you. Then you can get off, and you tell your friends how great it was. The Old Scrolls Online had a very linear, um, uh, narrative-based story with lots of cutscenes and lots of talking to people and lots of stuff. I thought it was a decent enough game. Here's the flaw. Um... Me and Heather play MMOs together. Um, MMOs are designed to be played with other people. Uh, Elder Scrolls Online, when we were both playing at the exact same time, it worked great. She has to work late one night. I log in and play and get a little bit ahead of her. Um, how do you solve that problem in a linear story-based game? Well, the way Elder Scrolls Online solved that problem was, was when we were in places where I was ahead of her, her character just flat out disappeared and we couldn't interact with each other. 
the, the since the world would change around you and stories were my story was further ahead than hers all of a sudden you had this weird kind of I don't know it was it was just didn't work in World of Warcraft Blizzard thought about that ahead of time and the reason it is the way it is is we that problem doesn't exist right like me and Heather can log in at any point and play together or separately and um, that problem doesn't manifest itself ever that's just bad programming in my opinion I mean if you if you have to follow a storyline and if somebody else is not following it with you then they don't appear or you don't get to see it that somebody else already did that's just bad programming that's not that's not part of you know what I mean it's a bad it's a design flaw that yeah, maybe World of Warcraft fits, and Shroud of the Avatar, I am very sure, is not going to have those issues just by its matter of design. Uh, just because there's a storyline doesn't necessarily mean you have to use it in a storybook fashion. That's another thing. I think uh, uh, Black Crown's a good example of this. Uh, I don't think the publisher really knew how to break out the audience. And it's a problem that affects many online games to a greater or lesser sense because there's only so much online gamer to go around. I mean, there are lots of us. Stop waving at the damn cat, Joe. Uh, there are lot there there are lots there are lots of us out there who are prepared to potentially pay, uh, play an online game, but to commit to it either in terms of actually spending time logged into the ser logged into the server or heavens forbid, paying money for it. Um, that's a rather more limited audience uh, audience share and. Uh, yeah, that, the, that no one really seems to be bringing much uh, that's very new to the idea. I think that's where uh, sort of Shroud of the Avatar's um, optional multiplayer, optional single player, optional small group, you and your friends doing their thing, no one else exists, um, actually has potential as a model for online games in the future in terms of dragging in more people who wouldn't be part of a traditional uh, MMO audience. Thanks for listening to the Big Box PC Game Collectors Podcast. I know there was a big break in between episodes, but I had a lot going on, and I'm hoping that there won't be quite as much time in between episodes in the future. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe on the service of your choice, or you can find the episodes linked directly on bigboxpcgamecollectors.com. 